I've been I've been distracted because there's a lot going on in our lives, and one of the things that I've been distracted by is is tiny. He's downstairs at the moment. He's about 22 pounds and and uh, um, needs nearly constant attention. Our little boy Titus. Um, I watched this week as as he stood up and he walked across the living room and he turned and he walked down the hall, and and um, that was the longest walking I've seen him do. And, and the other thing I've seen him do is I've seen him respond to his mother. So Jessica says stuff to him and he answers. And it's I, she can interpret it. I don't know. I, like, apparently it's actually words. <laughs> I, I don't speak baby. And so um, real hot mic here. Um, <laughs> and, and so I don't know exactly what he's saying. But he's hitting these points where he's beginning to progress in his development. Um, parents with kids know how wonderful this is the first time. And then with the second and third and fourth one, you're like, oh, my gosh, don't walk. <laughs> Stop crawling. No, <laughs> you know, don't climb on that. And eventually it's don't put that in your mouth or don't get on that bowl. <laughs> it's I mean, it's true. And, and you, you want to pull your hair out. But at the same time, there's this joy that comes with it, because as much as I love Titus being little and as much as I love being able to cuddle with him on the couch and as much as I love like how cute he is at this point. I don't really want him to be that way when he's 20, right? Like, if I'm still changing diapers at 20, like, that's, it's not going to be my preference, right, honey? Not at all. He, I, want, I want him to grow up, and I want him to progress, right? And it's funny watching him because there are these times when you can tell he's working on it. Like, he's, he's getting up to walk, and he's trying to walk. And there are other times when he sees something he wants and he doesn't care about walking. He just wants it now. And so he, like, he'll take a step and he's like, ah, forget this. And he drops down and he zips across the floor as fast as he can um, because it's not expedient to walk. Everybody with me? Anybody watched a baby do this or is it just me? <laughs> and, and so um, we're, we're talking about discipleship right now. The first two sermons in this series um, have looked at various subjects related to this, but this week we're going to be delving into this decision we make to, to stand up and walk, right? It's not always the easiest decision to make. It's not always the most expedient thing to do, but we all have to make these decisions and we all have to decide to move forward because if we don't, we end up as sort of this stunted child that never grows up. Um, and actually, I'm sure some of y'all have observed folks like this in church who have been in church for 40 years, and they'll burn the place down rather than see the walls painted yellow. I'm just, <laughs> or they'll, they'll fight everybody in the world over whether or not kids can play in the church or if they have to play outside. I mean, and there are folks who do this, right? Um, I, had a, I had a woman who had been going to church for years who called me up one, one year on Christmas Eve to yell at me about how cookies were done in the Christmas Eve service. You know, this is not spiritually mature, Right? This is somebody who has attended and chosen never to learn to walk and never to learn to talk and never to mature as a Christian. Um, and, and the first two weeks, we looked at sort of the guidelines for that. We looked at First Peter in the first sermon. These are online at sermon.net, sermon.net slash patching cracks if you want to listen to the first two. Um, like if you're having trouble sleeping and you need something to help, like you could go online and listen to them and it, you'll doze right off. 
um, the first time we looked at First Peter, and, and Peter talks about us being stones, living stones, being built into a holy house with Jesus as the cornerstone. So each of us is a part of the church, and we're supposed to be built up into this like body of Christ, and Jesus is sort of our guideline for that. And, and we measure everything we do based on Jesus because he's the cornerstone. We don't make our own decisions. We grow based on him. Um, last week, we talked about um, John, where he talks about the vine and the branches, and we're supposed to dr- derive our life from him. I'm not a farmer, but if you pull a leaf off a, off a corn stalk, nobody grows corn here, um, the leaf ain't going to continue to live because it's detached from the plant, right? I'm sure there's a weed analogy, right? <laughs> um, maybe. Um, the plants don't continue to grow apart from the apart from the main body. And us as believers, our growth is not our effort. It's a product of connection to the church and connection to Christ. And so we're going to look at growth today, um, specifically um, as Matthew presents it. Um, we're in Matthew 4. Um, if you have a Bible, you can follow along in your Bible. It will be on the screen too. Um, this is the, the story of the calling of Peter and Andrew. Um, and it's an interesting story because, um, because of the way Matthew tells it is how I'm going to present this. Um, if you ask my wife about meeting and marrying me, right? Oh <laughs> so, Irving, you're a Durga? I <laughs> oh, Wow. Um, <laughs> if you ask my wife about the story of meeting and marrying me, her, her story is, is very different from mine. Is that right, honey? My story is long because I never shut up. Um, but also because the details that relate to me in the story that talk, where I talk about how God changed my life in a good way through, through meeting and marrying my wife, like the, they're, they're the, the story, Right. My relationship with my wife is an extension of my relationship with God. If she tells a story, she tells it very differently because the details for her story are different, right? Matthew tells this story in a very basic way, but he tells it in a way that's very informative to Jewish readers. Everybody got me? Matthew is a Jew, right? And his primary audience is Jewish people. And so as we read it, we have to kind of keep that in mind and understand that there's this Jewish perspective. When we get to Luke, Luke is not Jewish at all. He's the only Gentile, like non-Jewish person, who writes in the New Testament. And for Luke, Luke throws out all of these details about miracles and about um, um, teaching and stuff like that 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 Matthew doesn't include because it would dilute the point Matthew is making. Okay, But here's the background. Um, in the Luke version, we find where Jesus is teaching on the shore of, of the Lake you know, Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. And there are so many people there listening and crushing together to hear him speak that he gets backed up to the edge of the water. And he steps into Peter and Andrew's boat, and they pull away from shore. And he stands there in the boat and teaches. And then, like when he's done teaching, he says, okay. Um, throw your net over, and they catch just a huge amount of fish, and it's a miracle. And Peter throws himself at Jesus' feet and says, hey, I'm a sinful person. You're obviously something more than just God or just a teacher, right, because he's been listening to the guy teach all day. And, and Peter commits his life to him, and Jesus says, well, listen, Peter, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men, right? Matthew's version is a little different. Um, I included that because it, 
it makes a difference. So Matthew 4.17, um, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Up until this point, Jesus has been a passive character in the Gospel of Matthew. From this point forward, he goes from passive to active, and it's all about teaching and building. Everybody with me? Um, His first step in teaching and building is um, he teaches, but he also goes on and begins to find followers. Um, That's important because, like, I I teach. Um, I, I spend a fair amount of time teaching. If I'm not helping people grow spiritually, guess what? Kind of wasting my time, right? If y'all aren't growing spiritually, if the folks that I'm in contact with aren't growing spiritually, um, my growth isn't extended. Um, ideally, come back to wheat, right? Like, ideally, the wheat, if you guys didn't harvest it, those seeds would spread out and they would become different wheat elsewhere, right? This is a model for the church. Um, we, as believers, mature and grow. We share our maturing and growing with other people, and they, in turn, do the same thing, and it's a cycle that repeats. That's discipleship, is raising other people up and helping them grow and mature. And so for Jesus, the growth of the church is preaching, and then it's investing in folks and helping them grow. It's discipleship. Um, So... 418. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, notice he sort of like condenses the story here. He saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Um, This is a loaded phrase. It's actually a loaded passage. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on here. Um, We know from Luke that they're actually out fishing in the water, right? And Jesus is teaching, he steps into the boat. Matthew is condensing it because the phrase he uses here, casting their net into the sea, emphasizes the fact that these guys are poor. <laughs> Peter and Andrew are, are he, he classifies them as shore fishermen. Um, Abby and I went fishing this week, and we stood on the shore and cast our lines, right? And, and, and there was a guy out there with a boat. Who's doing a better job of fishing probably? Guy in the boat, right? We are a lower class of fishermen, <laughs> I assume you said the boat because the boat works better, not because I had Abby and she's a much better fisherman than me. Um, was it a little pink, Disney? Anyway. Um, <laughs> um, so, so Matthew emphasizes the fact that these guys are poor and that they're out doing their fishing job. And Jesus approaches them and he says to them, uh, and he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, um, there's a bunch going on here. First off, um, Jesus is a rabbi. He's a teacher. And in ancient Israel, um, a rabbi would teach while walking, right? They would go from place to place and they would teach. And their followers would listen to him and they would listen to him walking behind them, right? And so, like, he's, like the wording here emphasizes that he wants them to come underneath him as students, as rabbinical students. Now... This is a big deal for these guys. First off, because they're poor and they've already gone through school probably and they're as schooled as they're going to get. Israel at the time was um, occupied by the Romans. Before that, it was occupied by the Persians. And before that, they were Greeks. Um, And and the Greeks did this crazy thing where they opened their own schools, right? And there were Greek schools all over Israel. And the Jews looked at these schools, and they're like, wait a minute. You guys are going to teach them a bunch of stuff that's not what we believe. I don't really want to send my kid to that school if they're going to 
teach them stuff that's not in harmony with what we believe as Jews. And so there was this movement um, in maybe the 100 years before Jesus where they started to start schools that were just for Jewish people. And there's whole collections of, of discussion in the Talmud, which is like the Jewish commentary on the Old Testament. It's sort of what guided people's lives, like the rules that they would follow about stuff. There was a whole like collection of discussions about how does school work for Jewish people. Um, and one of the ways that it worked was you would have synagogues, which were like little classrooms or churches in individual communities. And you would go there for teaching every week. If you were a child, starting at the age of six, you had to go to school. So compulsory education is not a new thing. Um, you had to go to school. You would learn to read. And how would you learn to read? By reading the only book every town had, the, the Torah, right? The first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. And, and you would learn the Torah. And by learn the Torah, I mean you would memorize it. I mean like word for word. And so starting at the age of six, the children would sit and they would memorize the, these books. And by the next stage of school, like when elementary school ends, you were expected to word for word be able to recite it. And then if you were a good student, you would start the next stage. And the next stage was memorizing the rest of the Old Testament, not making this up. <laughs> by 13 or 14, if you continued on, you would have the entire Old Testament memorized, the whole thing. Um, if you weren't such a good student, they'd be like, hey, maybe you should go and be a fisherman. Or maybe ditch digging is in your future. Or maybe, you know, and you would be sent off. If you managed to do that, you would come under a rabbi. And you would approach a rabbi and you would ask for permission to follow him. You would come to him and you'd say, please, please, please let me walk behind you and learn stuff. And you would, during this period, you would um, memorize the rest of the Talmud, which is about 17 volumes. Not making that up either. Um, and by the time you were old enough to be a rabbi, you would have the whole thing memorized. The rabbi would ask you questions, and if he thought you were a pretty good student, you could follow him. If he thought you weren't, he'd be like, maybe a different career is what you want, right? And it was hard to become the student of a rabbi. And if you ever did become the student of a rabbi, you would do it forever before you could become a rabbi yourself. Um, so Jesus, this rabbi, they've watched him speak all day, right? He's stood in their boat and taught. He's got huge crowds of people, so he's a prestigious rabbi, right? Um, he's a rabbi that's got a great deal of credentials and great deal of reputation. He turns around and he says, follow me. Well, that's a crazy thing, isn't it? I mean, for a rabbi, like he, he breaks the protocol. He turns it on his head and he says, you I'm picking you, and you come after me, and you follow me, and you learn what I'm going to teach you. Now, we're going to hit pause here because as believers, right, first off, if you are sitting here today and you believe that you are a person who is going to be good enough to go to heaven on your own, I'm going to be good, I'm going to treat people nice, I'm never going to spit in the road, I'm going to do everything that's expected of me, you, you're wrong. The Bible teaches that none of us can be good enough on our own, but that God sent his son to be perfect in our place, and he takes punishment for our sins. So when I sin, if I sin once, I've already blown it. If I believe in Christ, I'm forgiven. So we see kind of a model here. God does the work for us. You cannot earn your heaven. You cannot earn salvation from your sin. You cannot earn forgiveness. Um, Jesus does it. And then when he does that, he calls us to follow him. There's sort of this 
mindset that's invaded Christianity. It, it started during the Second Great Awakening in a fellow named Charles Finney. Um, and I'm not saying bad stuff about him. I'm saying this is a mindset where we make a decision, we say a prayer, and we're saved. Everybody with me? Has anybody done that, by the way, where you sat down and you said that prayer? You know, uh, dear God, I'm a sinner, and I, I don't know it by heart. I did it, actually. Um, and, and, like, actually, the Baptist church last year voted and agreed, if you say this prayer, you're saved. Of course, that's not what saves us. What saves us is faith in Christ and following him, right? Living our lives modeled after him, becoming his disciples. Um, Jesus is asking them to come and learn. Um, so God saves us, and then he grows us. Um, and he grows us through us following him, not through us sitting here, you know, warm in our spot, right? Not through us, um, you know, buying the right bumper stickers, that cool little fish that goes on your car or any of that other stuff. None of that stuff saves us. What saves us is discipleship. What saves us, not discipleship. <laughs> Aaron, preach heresy. Um, <laughs> what saves us is faith in Christ. And that faith leads us to become disciples, right? Um, I firmly believe that as Titus is growing and he's figuring out that he could put his feet underneath him and push him up, where do you think he learned that? Probably watching us, right? He looks and says, wait a minute. Mom walks up, right? And Dad does kind of sometimes. <laughs> Sorry. I bet I can do that too. Where is he learning words from? Probably from me because I never shut up. Um, <laughs> Abby, <laughs> I can blame it on the kids. Um, <laughs> ultimately, they're, they're learning from us, and they're learning by modeling after us. And, and we, in turn, like we grow, we learn by watching Jesus and by following Jesus and learning what he has to do with us. But it's not just head knowledge, right? Because I have met folks who have head knowledge, like it's so much that it's leaking out their ears, right? But there ain't no place where, like, the engine meets the, meets the road, right? The engine spins and spins and spins, and they can say all kinds of great things. But ultimately, that knowledge never makes it into their everyday life. Jesus says, he says to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He's telling them, I'm going to teach you how to put this stuff into work, and you're going to live different, right? You're not going to be the person you are today. You are going to live as a different person, um, discipleship is ultimately taking what Jesus teaches, teaches us and becoming new creations by living different. Um, Peter and Andrew are now faced with a decision, right? And actually, I'm going to... Jesus taught for quite a while, and we come across passages like Matthew 8... Um, uh, Matthew 8, 18. Then Jesus saw a crowd around him, and he gave orders to cross over to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, and the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And then another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Um, it's a decision we have to make. Actually, we see this over and over again where people will come to Jesus and they're like, hey, I'm going to follow you, but I need to go do this first. And Jesus is like, you know what? If you're going to follow me, follow me. If you're not going to follow me, don't. But understand, there ain't no middle ground on this one. When we're called to discipleship, we're called to a decision. We're called to a decision to live different. Not necessarily like the disciples have an extreme version of this where they leave their jobs. Um, for us... It's a call to put Christ as number one, and everything else falls in line under it. I 
you know, I do my job, but I do my job as a believer. And everything I do to do my job is shaped by my life as a believer. I am a father, but you know what? As much as I love my family, I love Jesus more. And I don't say that because I, I, if my wife said otherwise, I would be offended. Like, I want my wife to love God more than she loves me. And then her relationship with me is dictated by her relationship with Christ. Her relationship with her kids, her model for parenthood is, like, is God the Father? And everything falls subordinate to it. There are folks who will come to church and say, I will do this discipleship thing when I've got time, right? When I don't have to worry about these things, I'll bother with this Christian stuff. I'll learn the basic stuff, but it's not going into action until I'm done with this stressful period of my life. When we do that, we take God and we say, you know what? I'll do it, but I want to do my own thing first. Or I'll do it when it's not quite so expensive for me. Discipleship is something we're called to do, and it's something we're called to make a decision about, honestly, every day, right? Because every day it's a hard thing to live like Jesus. When somebody mistreats you, it is easy to say nasty things back. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Because our flesh says, stick it to them, right? But ultimately, God says, pray for those who persecute you. You know, bless those who do wrong by you. And it's a decision we make, a decision to live in discipleship under Christ. And so he tells them, hey, follow me. And what what did they do? Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Um, People were really poor then, right? Like we think of poor in our culture. I I know poor people who own TVs, right? Your nets were your well-being. If you didn't have a net, like you were done, right? Peter and Andrew probably didn't own a boat. They were probably hired by people to fish off their boats, and they got a cut of the fish. Not money, a cut of the fish. Um, They walked away from everything. We're not necessarily called to walk away from everything, but we are called to look at the world as passing, right? My stuff is nice, but I don't need it because I have Jesus, and Jesus is my number one. Um, there was a Puritan writer who said that wealth should be like a, like, like a light wrap, right? Something you can throw off at a moment's notice and it doesn't even matter. Um, our stuff, our family, our everything, we're called to love our family. We're called to work hard. We're called to do the right thing. But ultimately, our relationship with Jesus needs to be number one. And it needs to transfer into our everyday walk and our everyday interactions and our life. Um, And it's not that easy. But it's something we're all called to do. Otherwise, you end up like if Titus never learns to walk and just lays on the floor and expects us to feed him, right? And if he does that long enough, I'm sure his mom is going to get tired of it, right? If he's 17 and he's still laying on the floor demanding us to dress him and feed him, mm mm-mm. If he's 35 and living in our basement, doesn't have a job, mm mm-mm. Well, the parsonage basement, I don't know, it's... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> kind of a hole. I <laughs> be a troll then. Anyway, um, um, <laughs> Matthew four twenty one to twenty two. He goes on. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a boat with Zebedee their father. The phrase he uses there emphasizes the fact that James and John are wealthy. Right? He describes Peter and, and uh, Andrew as guys who are sh- fishing from the shore because their occupation was poor fishermen. He talks about James and John and the fact that they own a boat. Um, as we read the Gospel of John, he sort of lets some details out, and we figure out John was rich, and John was educated, and John was well-connected. And when like Jesus is arrested and goes to trial, um, 
when Jesus is arrested and he goes to trial, John shows up at the house where he's being tried, and he knows the guys who are running the door, and they let him in because John is, has money. And when he approaches James and John, um, these people with money, these people with a business, they're mending their nets, meaning they're done at the end of the done of the workday, and they're getting the stuff done that they need to do in order to go home. It's like fixing the combine at the end of the day or the beginning. Um, he called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. So they looked at everything, and they said, we have more, but we'll walk away and follow you. This is still a great honor, right? This is still a rabbi, a prominent man, calling them to be followers. And I'm telling you, as you sit here today, as you sit here today, as you began your life as a Christian, every day you wake up, the God who created the universe, who laid the foundation of, of the earth, who hung the stars in the sky, who is all things, stands there and calls you to follow him. Because you're awesome? Nope. Actually, that's why Matthew puts James and John second, for what it's worth. I, I believe reading this, like James and John were probably talked to first. He puts them second to emphasize the fact that it didn't matter that they had money. He called the poor guys first. And then he put, it wasn't about how great they were. It was about the fact that Jesus was calling them to be disciples. And he calls all of us to be disciples. Um, and beyond that, he calls the church to be disciple-making. Um, it's a very difficult thing to do, I'm going to tell you. It's a very, very difficult thing to do. It is a hard thing to answer the phone in the middle of the night, isn't it? Have any of y'all ever had a brother or sister in Christ come to you with a question or a problem and you sit there and you're talking to him and you're like, I'm getting involved in a sticky mess and I'm not sure I want to do this, right? Um, there's an attitude that pervades a lot of churches. This is my graphic for this. You know, it's the drive-by baptism. We want you to show up. We want you to get holy. But we don't want it to cost us any effort. <laughs> we don't get to do that, folks, right? If I have a house built out of stones, right, my stones aren't connected together, I don't have a house. i got a pile of rocks, right, or a field. Um, <laughs> um, we're called to be connected together, and we're called to raise each other up and grow each other, right? Uh, we're going to go on and look at the specifics of discipleship in the future weeks, um, but I'm going to give you the hint right here. Folks who are mature in Christ, folks who've grown in their faith, folks who are living it out are called to be connected to people who are younger than them, and they're called to help them grow. And younger folks are called to turn around and look for people who are more mature in their faith and to ask for help, right? There are some of y'all sitting in the room today who are mature in your faith, right? And there are some of y'all who aren't. Um, it's just a reality. Um, we're all called to discipleship. Even once we're mature as disciples, we're called to continue to mature. And even those of us who are young are called to grow. We're not called to hang out. We're not called to watch Eric be funny sometimes and screw stuff up. We're called to grow spiritually. That is our call. We are all called to discipleship. And it begins the very, 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 very first step is making a decision to do it. Right? Making a decision to commit to growing spiritually. To standing up and walking when crawling would probably be easier. Because standing up and walking is what we're called to do. Right? Answering with words instead of babbling. And there are Christians who babble. I'm doing it right now. Um, this is the first Sunday of the month. And the first Sunday of the month we do the Lord's Supper. Right? The Lord's Supper historically, like if you go back to the days of the early church, it was done in conjunction with discipleship. 
you took the Lord's Supper if you were somebody who was committed to following Christ, committed to growing spiritually, committed to becoming um, a walker and a talker and a meat eater instead of a milk drinker who gets his diaper changed on a regular basis. Um, I'm going to call my folks forward. At this church, we, we practiced open communion. Who's doing communion today? Do we remember? <laughs> Good deal. Um, we practice open communion in this church. If you are a disciple of Christ, if you are somebody who believes in Christ and are saved by grace through the blood of Jesus, you are welcome to take communion with us to receive the Lord's Supper. Um, and so as we prepare to do communion, as we prepare to do communion, bring your heart into a place where you make the decision, I will follow Christ. I will disciple. I will grow spiritually. Um, and then take and drink. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he passed his cup and he said, take and drink, this is my blood, shed for you um, for the remission of sins, um, a sign of the new covenant. And this morning we, we do that in remembrance to him. And I need a piano player.